In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 62. Each psalm has a title, and the title of this psalm is To the Chief Musician, to Jetuthon, a Psalm of David. Chief musician, as we explained before, some said it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Others said it refers to leader of choir or musicians in David's time, like Heman the singer or Asaph. Then he said to Jetuthon, Jetuthon mentioned also in the title of Psalm 39 and Psalm 77, plus Psalm 62. Jeduthon is one of the musicians appointed by David to lead Israel's public worship, as we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 41, and 1 Chronicles chapter 25, from verse 1 to 3. To Jeduthon mean that the psalm was sent to him as the chief or he is the leader of the band of the family of Jeduthun. It appears that these three persons, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, were holy men, full of divine spirit, and they prophesied with music, with harps, with psalteries, and with symbols. Jeduthun's, as we read about him in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 3, had six sons who were appointed by lot to the different courses. And Jeduthun himself prophesied with a harp to give thanks and praise to God. Although it is not very clear from the psalm itself on what occasion David composed this psalm, but most likely during the rebellion of his son Absalom, when Absalom wanted to take the kingdom from his father David. In this psalm, we will find lament, praise, thanksgiving, wisdom, and exhortation. All these things in Psalm 62. It is a short psalm, 12 verses. Verse 1 and 2, God is David's rock and salvation. Verses 3 and 4, the plans of David's adversaries. Verse 5 to 7, David's confidence and trust in God alone. From 8 to 10, exhorting others to trust in God. Last two verses, 11 and 12, asserting that power and mercy belong to God alone. So let's start from verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. So, in these two verses, 
we read about the peace and rest that David has found in God in spite of all the difficult circumstances around him. He says that unto God alone and only God, his soul looks impatient, waits in impatient calmness, waiting for the deliverance which will surely come and come from him alone. Truly my soul silently, calmly waits for God. From him comes my salvation. So I'm waiting calmly, patiently, and I trust that the salvation definitely and the de deliverance definitely comes from him alone. The emphasis in verse 1 is of submitted silence before God. He is waiting in silence, not grumbling, not complaining. He waiting for the deliverance from God in silence and in, in God alone. And the, the word truly, truly my soul silently waits for God, the word truly often translated alone or only and seem to have that sense here. Only my soul silently waits for God. So for God only, my soul waits calmly and silently. From Him comes my salvation. And the word waits, I, He was waiting and as we wait, for answer of prayer, deliverance from enemies, and deliverance out of every trouble. Verse 1 also may mean patiently and quietly waiting for the salvation until the Lord's time come to give it. The whole humanity waited 5,500 years from Adam waiting for the salvation of God until in the fullness of time God actually granted salvation to the whole world. In many Psalms actually David began by telling his great need or describing his present crisis. But this Psalm is different. He did not start the Psalm by explaining his crisis or his trouble, the trouble that he is going through. But David began this psalm by declaring his great confidence in God and his trust upon God. So this psalm seems to come from a time of trouble, yet he asks God for nothing because he knows God will deliver him. So he is waiting patiently, waiting calmly. He knows that God will deliver him for sure. David is full of faith and trust. He has no fear, no despair, no petition. He trusts that I shall not be greatly moved. I shall not be greatly moved. He described God as my rock. He only is my rock and my salvation. 
He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. David trusted in God alone. The word rock means his strength and stability. When you stand on rock, it's stable. So the description of a man completely focused upon God for his help, firmly determined not to look anywhere else, only for God. David doesn't find rest in his positions. He was king at the time when Absalom rebelled against him, or in his royalty. Only God brought his rest since the salvation comes from God. And because God alone is his rock, then his salvation, his stronghold, David will never be shaken. I will not move, as he said. I shall not be greatly moved. The word rock is frequently used to symbolize God's strength, faithfulness, and unchangeableness. Immutability. He is immutable. The rock on which the church is built, we are built on the rock, and the rock is Jesus Christ. And which was David's safety made him calm in his present state. When we know that our church is built on the rock of ages, our Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be moved. Verse 3. How long will you attack a man? Now he is speaking to his enemies. For how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. So David's faith was in God alone. But in verse 3, he had words for his enemies. He addresses the enemies here. And also the language would apply well to the attempts made upon his life by Absalom and his followers. So if you imagine David here is directing his word to his son Absalom and to Achitophel who supported Absalom and the follower of Absalom. They had already done it for so long. They had showed great perseverance in this course of wickedness against David. So he's asking whether it would never come to an end. How long will you attack a man? For how long? He rebuked them for their persistence in their attacks and warned them of judgment to come. As we directed these words also to the enemies of the church who are persecuting the church until today, we tell them, how long will you attack a man? Will attack the children of God? God is on the side of David as he is on the side of his children. So his enemies cannot harm him. How long will they persist in vain attempt? So he is telling them, you will never be able to harm me. So when you, you are going to give up, how long you will persist in these vain attempts? When he said, how long will you attack a man? A man means a weak and innocent one. 
So David's image is clear enough, but there is disagreement among translators and commentators as to whom the rest of the verse apply. Even between Arabic and English, you can see difference. In English, it says, you shall be slain. So the enemies will be slain. All of you, all the enemies like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. But the Arabic, you will destroy him. It's about David. It's about the man. It's about the children of God. It's not about the enemies. You will destroy him as a leaning wall and a tottering fence. يعني في العربي يقول ايه الى متى تهجمون على الانسان تهدمونه كلكم كحائط منقض كجدار واقع فالحائط المنقض والجدار الواقع هنا بيرجع لداود but in english he is addressing the enemies you shall be slain all of you like a leaning wall and a tottering fence because in the original text the original text can refer either to David or to the enemies. So here, so here there is a disagreement among the translators and commentators to which the rest of the verse apply, but it can apply for both. For example, the New King James Version presents the rest of the verse to the enemies, opponents of David, and they are like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Others, like the Arabic translation, think that David himself was the leaning wall in his weakness, unfairly set by his enemies, which is requires only a strong push to throw down. So it's a leaning wall. So if just you push this wall, it will fall down. Verse 4, they only consult, the enemies consult, to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. So, by their mouth, like Judas, they bless when he greeted the master and kissed him. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Selah. So, opposing the church, if these enemies, as I told you, a man can refer to the church, opposing the church, the wicked are persecuting the body of Christ. So this man can refer to Jesus Christ himself, who counts their opposition as though directed against him personally. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ, when he appeared to Saul of Tarsus, he told him, why are you persecuting me, not my children? And according to St. Augustine, the man whom all the wicked intended to destroy, as they would a leaning wall or a tottering fence, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So he said, this man is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 4, David explains that they aim 
at one high in rank, they want to put him down. They only consult to cast him down from his high position, from his high position. And their purpose, their sole purpose, is to bring him down. So what preoccupies the hearts of the wicked is not to succeed or to progress in something as much as to destroy the righteous. That was their intention. Whether against King David, they want to destroy him or against his son according to the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. They want to kill him, to crucify him. So this would apply to the case of David in the time of the rebellion of Absalom, his son. David described his enemies as those who only think through a matter if it involves bring down a man of God. So that is the main goal, to bring him down. They consulted to discourage him from looking to God. David considered God his rock, his fortress. So they want him to be discouraged from looking to God, to discourage him from trusting in God. And they were liars. Like in the case of Jesus Christ, they were liars, false witnesses. And they are liars, especially in the sense of being two-faced. Like Judas greeted the Lord, he kissed him, but he betrayed him. That's why it says they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. They lie in order to hurt his character and ruin his reputation, which can weaken his people's loyalty and obedience to him. They tried to cast a doubt about Jesus Christ. They said about him with Baal Zabub, the head of the demons, he is casting out demons. Many times in his Psalms, David has mentioned the pain of the attacks from people who say kind things to his face, but destroy him with their words when he was not around. This is the characteristic of a wicked person. St. Clement the Roman says, I wish we attach ourselves to those who plant peace with piety, not those who seek peace with hypocrisy. And the word silah is pause for reflection and meditation. So when you see the word silah in any psalm, it is pause for meditation and reflection. Verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone. He repeats again what he said in verse 1. Truly my soul waits silently for God. For my expectation is from him. From him only. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So verse 5 and 6, more or less like verse 1 or 2. Maybe for my expectation is from him is only the added part. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. 
So in the opening verse of the psalm, David described the state of his soul. He trusts in God. Here he speaks to his soul, telling his soul to remain in that place of trust in and, and surrender to God. So verse 1, he is describing the status of his soul. In verse 5, he is speaking to his soul, saying, continue to trust in God. It is only by self-exhortation that calmness can be maintained. So when we go through a difficult time, through trial, through tribulation, if we reminded ourselves, if we exhort ourselves as David is doing, this actually will give us calmness and peace. So from the thought of his better enemies in verse 3 and 4 and their wicked plans against him, the psalmist returns to the expression of his own full confidence in God. He did not dwell on these negative thoughts for long, but he reminded himself that God is his rock, his refuge, his strength. So David said his complete expectation is only from God. His salvation was upon God. He did not rely on his fellow men or on himself. All that he expected or hoped for must come from God. They don't trust God at all those who do not trust him alone. So if, if we trust anything else beside God, if we trust money, our abilities, anything else, then we don't trust God. In order to say, I trust God, this means I trust him alone, not with anything else. This faith, for example, was exhibited by Job because Job lost everything. He doesn't have anything to trust. Money, children, position. So, when faced with the loss of family, friends, occupation, welfare, health, everything, Job trusted in God alone. Sometimes some people want to think they are trusting God because God is going to make things good for them. But this was not the case with David, with, sorry, with Job. Job lost everything. And for many years he waited like this until God restored everything to him. But he trusted God. Some people want all their desire and wishes met by God, all their expectation. And they call this trusting in God. These things like money, friends, welfare, health, are our safety net. And those who rely on them are typically unwilling to fully trust in God. Because I feel safe if I have money. I feel safe if I am healthy. I feel safe if I have friends. But what if I lost everything around me like Job? Am I going to fully trust in God? So, as long as I am holding to this safety net, I am actually not willing to fully trust in God and in Him alone. Because if all these things 
are removed, I will actually grumble against God like Job's wife. When she told him, until now you are holding your perfection, bless God and die. Verse 6, he repeated verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. So he assured himself by repeating verse 2. It was true for David and he wanted to remain true that God is his rock and his salvation. So we can see here the psalmist's confidence has increased. He feels now that whatever his enemies may attempt, he will not be shaken at all. I will not be moved. As he said, I shall not be moved. David vows not to allow his enemies to get the best of him. He will not shake or tremble at the thought of them. And from practical standpoint, someone is surrounded by enemies will do well not to show fear or weakness. Because if I show fear or weakness, this will encourage my enemies. But David was not showing fear or weakness in order to discourage his enemies. This is not the reason why David determined not to be shaken. But David will stand as solid as rock because he serves a God who is solid as rock. So his determination to stand steady is not a way to intimidate his enemies, but this is based on his faith in God. And you can see six times in these verses, David has repeated that his hope, his salvation, his trust are found in God alone. Also, he said, my refuge is in God. And the emphasis again reflects David's decision to trust in nothing or no one else but God. There is nothing else that David will put his trust in for his life, his welfare, for his salvation, for his strength, for his hope, except in God. God is the author of salvation to him. And it is in him alone David feels safe and secure. He added, my glory. He said, in God is my salvation and my glory, my reputation, my honor. So the psalmist is saying that he has entrusted his honor and reputation to God. Even if my enemies want to put my reputation down, but I trust God with my honor and my reputation. God alone is his salvation, his glory, his rock, his strength, and his refuge. David refused to trust anything else and kept his expectation in God alone. Verse 8 is exhortation to all of us. Trust in him at all time, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Silah. And as I told you, Silah is a pause for meditation and reflection. So the psalmist here in verse 8 has bore witness to his faith and the peace it has given him. This faith 
give him peace. Now he encouraged all of us to adopt the same faith and trust in God so that we might experience the same blessing. And it is a characteristic of David to join the people with himself in all his fears and in all his hopes. David felt what was good for him was good for others also. And as a king, as a leader of God's people, he spoke wisdom to them, reminding them that God is worthy at all times of their trust in him. He told them, trust in him at all times, you people. God is a refuge for us, not for me only, but for all of us. So God is refuge for us, not only my refuge, David, but a refuge for us all. And he told them, pour out your heart before him. Meaning what? Our heart, we carry in our hearts, our happiness, our joy, our fears, our worries, our anxieties. So David is saying, make known to God all your desires, all your cares, all your griefs of your heart. Make it freely and frequently, like pouring out with confident expectation of obtaining what you want or desire from God. You will get the peace and the calmness from God. This exhortation, pour out your heart before God, addressed to all people in all circumstances and in all times, not in his generation only, but until now and in the end of the ages. And this is founded on the personal experience of David and on, on the views which he had of the character of God as worthy of universal confidence. God, through David, inviting all of us to pour out our hearts, our sorrows, our joys, our trust, even our doubt, all of it before him. One way we know that we are trusting in God only is when we trust him in any circumstance and in any situation. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how challenging our lives become, but we don't let go of God for anything. So the question, who do you turn to in time of trouble? Who do you speak with when things are going well? So either going well or in time of trouble. Our heart needs to be poured out to God. We need to speak to Him. We need to talk to Him so often that we could say that we have poured out our heart to Him. And as I told you, Selah is a pause for reflection. Verse 9. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. So this son speaks much of trusting in God alone. So in verse 9, David explained why it is important to trust in God alone and not to set trust in any human being. David, David understood that whether 
they are men of low degree or high degree altogether lighter than vapor. Those of low degree are vapor. Those of high degree are alive. If all of them wait on skills, they altogether lighter than vapor. So there is no basis there worthy of trust. So low degree and high degree, general reference to all mankind, rich and poor, high prestige and low prestige, high position, low position. So he is saying this as a reason or argument to enforce his earlier exhortation to trust in God only because there was no other, there is no other person or thing to which we could safely trust. Power belongs only to God. If men are weighed on the scales, they are seen to go up to show how light they are, like vapor. They have no re real weight, no real value. All the kings of the earth, with all their hosts of war, all princes, all nobles, cannot save one soul from death, cannot deliver anyone from the consequences of their transgression, cannot deliver one from hell. God and God alone can do this. So David speaks about the brevity of life suddenly in this text point out that tribulation that we endure from such people are temporary. So when he said they are altogether lighter than vapor, even when we experience tribulation from people, they will fade away, the tribulation will be gone. It doesn't matter if someone is of a high degree or of low degree. Every person is just a vapor that passes quickly. Don't let the wicked bring you down. Don't allow their actions to make you trouble. To say that all these people, if they wait on the scales, they are altogether lighter like than vapor, teaches us that these people are worthless. They are vapor. They will pass and they will be judged. Like the vapor, you see it and then disappear. People are always tempted to use even means to obtain financial gain. That's verse 10. He said, don't trust in oppression. Some people oppress others for financial gain. So David is exhorting us, don't trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. So he's saying, if you are tempted to use evil means like oppression or robbery to obtain financial gain, don't trust in this. This will not deliver you. In previous verse, David has stated reasons why we should not trust in men of any rank, high degree or low degree. In verse 10, he numbers several things on which people are accustomed to rely, oppression, robbery, or riches, in which people place confidence. 
he says that we should put no confidence in them in respect to the help we need. If you need financial gain, don't oppress others to get the money that you need. Or if you want to accomplish something, don't use oppression, the great object which you are to be accomplished by us. So the first thing mentioned here is oppression. And the idea is, we must not hope to accomplish our goal by oppressing others, by obtaining their property or their service by threatening them, making them by force subject to us. Don't trust in oppression. If man thinks that oppression is an easy and a quick way to attain material benefit, won't he by this corrupt his heart? In the household, don't threaten your family to get your will to be done. Don't, do, don't use oppression, don't trust in oppression. And oppression and robbery are often linked. Many references in the scripture like Leviticus 6.2, Leviticus 6.4, Ezekiel 22.29, Isaiah 30.12. That's why he said, don't trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. The love of money may drive man to cheating, robbery, and oppression, even to robbery. So the class that supported Epsilon against David was the class of oppressors in Israel. That's why David kept them under and restrained as far as possible. Because if he gave, if they, he gave them any authority, they would oppress others. So David here is warning them against trusting in their power to oppress, since such strength as they have is not their own, but lent them by God. Any power is given to us by God. So he's telling them, don't suppose that God would allow you to continue oppressing and robbing others. Such a belief is a vain illusion. So the psalmist is calling people not to trust these evil means. Then he said, even if riches increase, don't trust in riches. Don't set your heart on them. So even when wealth accumulates naturally, not as a result of evil doing, again, it is not a thing to be trusted. None of these things can supply men's real needs. None can save his soul. Man needs over and above all these a God and a Savior. And it is such a God and Savior only that can meet our real needs. As they say, money can get you the most expensive watch but cannot get, give you time. Money can get you the best bedroom, but cannot give you sleep. Money can get you the best medicine and best physician, but cannot grant you health. Then in the last two verses in this psalm, God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belong mercy. 
for you render to each one according to his work. So it's saying God speaks once. I will explain what does this mean. And David heard the two things. I heard it twice. Number one, that power belonged to God. Number two, mercy belonged to God. For you render to each one according to his work. God has spoken once. God does not need to speak twice. He's unchangeable. One word of his, of his mouth is more to be depended on than all the men and all things in the world. The meaning here is not that God only spoke once because God spoke often. And you, and you, when you read in the scripture, God spoke several times. But the word once mean, means his word is unchangeable. What he said remained true forever and ever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but one dot or tittle from the word of God will not pass away. That's the meaning of God speaks once. St. Augustine explains that what God said to Adam, said it as well to Cain, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, Moses, to all the apostles. God is unchangeable. So, are what he utters, is, it is us who change. God doesn't change, but we change. So, Gassan Augustine intend to confirm that God is impartial. If we humbly submit to him, he would enjoy his, we would enjoy his blessing. But if we arrogantly disobey him, we would fall under judgment. So what God says to any person is the same, because God has no partiality. What God has once spoken stand. It is permanent, irreversible, and unchangeable. God's word is firm and sure. He cannot lie, nor will he alter the things that he spoke. Therefore, his word is to be trusted. While God the Almighty does not change, yet we sometimes submit ourselves to his mercies when we fall under the corruption of sin. So we need God's power and we need God's mercy. So the psalmist had heard of two things and was well assured of the truth of them. And these two things were the foundation of his trust in God and his confidence in God. So what are these two things? That power belongs to God and mercy belongs to God. Twice I heard this, that power belongs to God, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. This truth was deeply ingrained in David's soul. Power belongs to God. David refused to look for strength anywhere else. He did not long for power unto himself. And he did not become arrogant as a ruler and a king, knowing that any power he held was as God's representative. So what he mentioned in verse 11 recaps the message from verse 5 to 8 which speak of God as my rock and my salvation and my defense because power belonged to him. 
If we want to access to trustworthy power, look to God, not to people, not to money. Gratefully, David understood that God's nature was much more than power. He also is rich in mercy. God is not only powerful, but he is merciful. Just as men could and should look to God for power, also we should look to God for mercy when we fall under the corruption of sin. God is a God of love who is loyal and good to his people. And the balance between his justice and his mercy, his power and his love is amazing balance. He had the power and he had the will Therefore, those who fear him have nothing to fear. If you fear God, should not be afraid of anything else. St. Augustine says, in these two things, power and mercy are contained in nearly all the scripture. Because of these two things, mercy and power are the prophets. Because of these two things, the patriarchs, because of these two things, the law. Because of these two things, himself, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of these two things, the apostles. Because of these two things, all the preaching and spreading of the word of God in the church. Because of these two, because of the power of God and of his mercy. St. Augustine also says, Let us then fear the power of God and let us love his mercy. When we know God is powerful, we should walk in the fear of God. And when we know he is merciful, we love him. Don't lean upon the mercy of God and disregard his power. Don't say God is merciful, God is merciful, and disregard his power. And don't fear his power and be terrified from God and despair from his mercy. You need to perceive both his power and his mercy, for to him belong both the power and mercy. David had no expectation of mercy from men, but because he knew that ultimately this great covenant, love, mercy, belonged only to God. He concluded this psalm by saying, for you render to each one according to his work. God will repay each one according to his work. No one will avoid the recompense that God will bring. If we have done the righteous things of God, then we'll be rewarded for our sacrifices and for our action. But if we committed evil, as described in this psalm, then God will repay us with wrath and punishment. When God rewards well-doing, it's still of his mercy, since no one can claim that he deserves reward. So even those, the righteous, when they are rewarded, they are rewarded because of his mercy. Because no one can say, my works earned for me the heavenly reward. This concludes Psalm 62. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.